You are listening to the Family Business Podcast, the podcast aimed at delivering insights to help your family business thrive. I'm your host, Russ Hayworth, and each week I'll be bringing you interviews from family businesses and their advisors from all over the world. So without further ado, let's get on with the show. Well, hello and welcome to the Family Business Podcast. I am joined today by a uh, multinational group of uh, individuals who I will introduce in a moment. And we're going to be talking about um, how difficult or what the challenges are around founders um, seeking uh, purpose and identity beyond the business. Um, Some call it retirement, not so sure it is, um, but we're going to be looking at uh, some of the challenges there. Uh, So I'm joined today by Mary Mickle, who you will know from previous um, episodes, um, and Ellie Hanson, and also Jim Hutchison. Um, Now, Ellie and Jim are from Regeneration, which is a business over in the States. Um, So firstly, guys, uh, thank you for joining me. And I will just point out, we are live. We are are all in the same place. We've just been to a conference together, uh, and so it's nice to have a a face-to-face chat with you all. Thank you. Glad to be here. Um, So before we get into the show, if we... Um, if we go around, we're on a, on a table. If we go around the table and introduce ourselves and um, remind our audience what we do, that'd be great. So, Mary, did you want to kick us off on? Uh, yeah, well, thank you for you? having me back again. You're um, I'm looking forward to the chat with some uh, associates and friends from, from Dallas. Um, so, I'm Mary Mickle. I've got my own uh, consultancy focusing on succession planning, uh, intergenerational dynamics. Uh, with UK family businesses. So I'm looking forward to this topic today. Yeah. And Jim? Well, thank you for having me. It's a short hop over here to be here. I'm delighted to be in London for this. Uh, I'm the founder of Regeneration. We are a consulting group that uh, works to solve the issues, family issues that impact the operating business. Been doing that for 23 years. And prior to that, I worked in my family company for 22 years which was the uh, largest portrait photography company in the world. And, um, you know, we were a family business, so I've lived much of what we talk about and what we'll, we will talk about uh, today. Fantastic. Ellie? I'm the managing partner of Regeneration. I've been with the firm about 10 years. We, as Jim said, only work with family-owned, family-managed firms uh, all over the states. We have a, a handful of international clients as well. Uh, but love what we do, love to get involved in everything from the succession planning to the business performance to all of the unique and challenging and fun family dynamics. Excellent. Um, and as I mentioned in the intro, we're going to be talking about the particular challenges that founders face in terms of letting go or, or retiring from the business. Um, but perhaps to uh, to kick us off, has, has anyone got an example of, of a founder in which they uh, have either got a success story or a challenge that became a success story around that particular transition? Yeah, I think we all have a a myriad of those, but uh, as you and I first talked, we certainly, the the thing that came to mind or a client that came to mind was a client we have, uh, Jim and I have in Oregon. And today the founder is about 83, uh, but this conversation probably took place six, seven, eight years ago. And as we had a really more of a casual chat about um, where he was in this thing of succession and where he was on the journey, 
because it's not a one-hit wonder. It's mm-hmm. it's not an event, right? It's a process. Right. Uh, he really went into the, at length to say, uh, I was fired from the first job, seven jobs I'd ever had. Uh, I started this in my garage. I had nothing really more to bring to it than, you know, my, my, the skills of my hands, mm-hmm. uh, to forming a actual business around himself, to partnering with his wife, to cha- challenges with alcoholism, to watching his two children become alcoholics, battling his own sobriety, then their sobriety. Wow. Uh, he lost his wife of 50 years. And then, and he said, Ellie, the hardest thing I've ever done in my entire life is transition my business. Mm. And so having gone through all of these massive life events and more, uh, it just really puts into context how difficult this thing really is. Yeah. And so how do you start having those discussions? Because we hear from many um, founders, owners, and even next gen, that it's, you know, now's the time to start talking about it. But the they're still very unsure as to how to start that discussion. Because you can't just sit down and go, right, I'm off in six months time, because as you say, it's a, it's a big process and there's lots of practical elements to that and there's also a lot of emotional elements to that. So, so how would somebody want, who's looking to do this or, or may think it's time for mum or dad to move on, how would they start to looking at those conversations? And that's, that's an open question. I think, um it's a life-defining moment for entrepreneurs who have spent a lot of their life defining themselves through their business to consider what they're going to be doing beyond that. So I think it's such a sensitive conversation to start. I would be surprised um, if it went particularly well if you only spent that time having that conversation with your children. Most founders I know that are thinking about their own exit spend time with their peer group to see who's done it successfully and to get learnings from within their peer group. That's where they reach out to. As an advisor, you have to, I think that's the piece where you have to build up the most trust in the system to be able to allow them to know that there is someone there to walk with them, to support them, to consider what's next. Uh As Ellie said, this, this guy in Oregon had been through all sorts of things, but actually the most difficult thing was leaving the business, and that shows the level of, of complexity and energy that, that goes with that. So I think a good um, coach, facilitator, trusted advisor to walk that walk with you over a number of years. Mm. I don't think it's something, as Ellie said, it's a process, not a destination. So I think really opening up to a peer group and also finding someone you can really spend time on picking some of those softer, complex issues with. Absolutely. So I would take a little different angle to that question and and the, um, I I agree with what Mary has just said, but I would also caution that there is a timing issue to this whole succession process. Many consultants want to get in very early and they just simply don't get the attention of the CEO or the founder. Mm -hmm. And it's a nice topic to discuss in theory, but the practical uh, application of discussing it when you have a 40, 45 year old uh, CEO or a CEO uh, leader of the business, 
that's really not on their radar. Mm. And so the succession plan at that point is very different. It's a very different conversation than when they are 65 or 75 years of age. At 45, you put the documentation in to make sure that the the ownership will go in a manner that is consistent with what the founder wants. The conversations at 75 are very different, and that is about allowing uh, the next generation, whether it's family or not, to to ascend and to actually take the leadership role. And it goes from at 45, 50 years of age, it goes from uh, it's all about me as the founder. I love what I'm doing. I enjoy it. This is great. I'm getting uh, praise and uh, accolades for doing good work to shifting that when you're 65 to making it less about you as the founder and more about the rising generation and giving them the space to feel like they can accomplish and achieve. And uh, when you said, do we have, you know, uh, good stories and bad stories? The answer is yes. But keeping in mind that some of the, what you might consider to be bad outcomes uh, are in fact wildly successful. Mm. Uh, There are uh, a number of clients that uh, Ellie and I have had over the years where uh, there is no successor. There is no family. Mm-hmm. to take over. And you could look and say, well, that business went away. Um, and that would be one perspective that it went away and that was uh, a negative to mm. this family. But the reality of it is, is that because it was no founder, uh, successor to the founder, the uh, next generation was not put into something that they simply were destined to fail at. Mm-hmm. And the ability to recognize that you know, now is the time to either sell the company or shift it to somebody outside the family to lead it. Uh, these are very difficult but very important decisions that can keep a family uh, connected very positively rather than finding fault and blaming and so forth. Yeah. So just because it didn't succeed in the family uh, does not mean that the succession planning or process was a failure, it may be that that was the best thing. Yeah, and I think a long-winded answer to a simple question. But I think that's something that's quite often overlooked is that the definition of success in terms of family business is that it goes to the next generation. When in fact, as you say, what might be right is that that doesn't happen and that's still deemed as a success. But we're constantly hit over the head by these statistics that, you know, by third gen there's X percent that, that, that make it. And I think understanding that it doesn't have to necessarily follow the path that guess the the press or the society suggests we have to follow means that we can start to define what success is and and work towards that any succession as i if i've understood what you said any succession has to be within the context of that but there has been discussion on what success and what the intentions of the owning group are yeah completely for all those family business owners and members in a family business that are listening to this podcast, don't be fooled by the statistics. The statistics are real. There's no question about that. 
But you must dig one level lower and understand mm -hmm. that failure of a family business does not mean that you failed. It simply means that it no longer exists, but it may have become something different. Mm -hmm. They may have sold it for a lot of money and that is a success. And there could be a number of other ways that the, the research only says that the business no longer exists. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Important difference. And we mentioned, um, Mary, you mentioned it in terms of starting those conversations is to, to speak to peer groups. And I'm guessing that the real advantage of doing that is that if you're in a peer group with people who are at a similar stage in life to you, or perhaps um, have their own businesses as well, they're going to be feeling the same things that you are. And if they face those challenges and have lessons to, to teach from those, it's a way of sharing it in a relatively safe environment rather than just rocking up at somebody's door saying, I've heard about this thing called succession, can you, can you help me out? Um, so the, the importance of having that peer group as a, a resource is, is really important, isn't it? Absolutely. And sometimes, I'm sure in your guys' experience as well, there's a need for an advisor to help connect them into that peer group if it's not there naturally. Mm -hmm. um, I had a conversation with my own father because I'm fourth generation of my family business and he retired G3, last G3, as chairman last year. Not only was he the first Mickle male to leave the business alive, so I'm very proud of him for that, yeah. but also he said to me, maybe we should go into business together because the main issue, as I see it, of your business and people you work with is getting rid of dad. And I could talk to them about how I've done it successfully. And actually, we're, we're having some discussions around that at the moment because I think he could be a core of a peer group. I think absolutely that would yeah. work well, where people understand it's not just about backfilling your executive function, mm -hmm. which is a really important piece, but it's also about defining your legacy uh, beyond the assets and into the people as yeah. well. How are, how are the next generation going to consider um, or have congruent behaviours in line with what that outgoing chairman felt to be mm -hmm. his vision during his time? Completely. So I think that's part of a discussion of a peer group. Mm -hmm. But there's plenty of other discussions that could be had there too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think um, what, one of the interesting points around um, succession is, particularly from a founder, and we'll, we'll come on to a point um, in a minute that the founder is not always the person that set the business up, and that might sound counterintuitive, but we'll explain what we mean by that in a minute. But, but that person's going to have such a strong tie and identity linked to that business and a sense of purpose that is linked to that business. It's like a part of themselves. And, and asking them to give that up is asking them to, to lose their right arm, as an example. How do you go about helping people to find a replacement for that sense of identity or sense of purpose? I think that's actually like the million dollar question. I think finding how we can kind of re-channel those passions and energy is uh, what we as advisors are tasked with all the time. Mm -hmm. I think sometimes that even gets lost as we focus on the the actual transfer of, of ownership or money or various other kind of logisticals, right, tangibles. I think we don't always spend enough time on the what's next in purpose mm -hmm. for these um, really successful people. And so I think there's a, a number of things to consider in that, but one of the things we've talked with our clients about is you have a higher calling 
many of our founders refer to this entity as their other child, uh-huh. right? And so it's not cavalier, it's not casual, uh, but to re-channel that energy, passion into their actual children, right? Yeah. You have a higher calling as a parent. Mm-hmm. And what does that look like? How do we begin those, those conversations? Um, how do we bridge the gap between um, father, son, father, daughter to chairperson, incoming president? Mm-hmm. How do we professionalize the communication there to really create clear lines? Uh, but also giving and hopefully inspiring the founder to pick up the mantle and like a new mantle, a new, a new mantra of yeah. allowing this thing to go into a, a new phase. Yeah. And that sets an example for the following generation as well, that it can be done and it can be done successfully. If it's all dealt with at death and it's a mess and it's a pain, then it, it can be off-putting for then that generation to start having those conversations. It goes one of two ways, one it's right. This has ended really badly for me. I want to get this sorted as early as possible. Or they do the same and put their head in the sand and don't then talk about it until it's, again, too late. So setting that good example for the next generation is going to help the business. Yeah, so the the research around that is uh, 86% of CEOs or presidents will say that uh, their family business absolutely will survive into the next generation. Mm. 60% 60% will die in the same chair that they've been sitting in, yeah. which means they simply have not made room for the next person to rise. Uh, and so it's not that it's necessarily doomed to fail, but it's certainly the next gen is not as well equipped as they might have been. Mm. And again, that's why starting a process early means that you can identify those issues and challenges rather than get into you know, death perhaps, and yeah. then finding out. And actually those issues and challenges around the next generation can often be excuses as well. They're not yeah. ready. Yeah. And actually who's really not ready um, is, is uh, a thing that needs explored. And that's really good through multi-generational group work, that mm-hmm. idea of, well, what is readiness? What does it look like? And building team, strong team dynamics so that parents can see their children with the value that they actually bring to a business even if it's not exactly the same as their own discipline of origin, which I've seen a number of of times, um, them struggling to, uh, older generations struggling to understand the value if it's not identical and not the same path as as their own. And we came across this, it was mentioned um, yesterday at the the conference we were at, about um, eldest son being the, the natural successor. And that kind of plays out in, in what you were just saying, is that if they're looking at the eldest son and thinking, well, he's destined to be in the, the, my seat next, but actually my daughter's better qualified or my nephew or whoever it might be, it can be really tricky to manage everyone's expectations during that transition to say, actually, you're probably not the right person. They might all be thinking it, but they might not be talking about it. Yeah, we see that all the time. I mean, those are the hard conversations that we begin having with at the one-on-one level from the first day of an engagement. Uh, we're working with a family right now where we have two sons, both bright, both been in the business about the same time, both love and are very passionate about it, and yet there's great question around um, who is most suited, mm. 
And ultimately, you know, the parents for the, these two sons' entire lives have said equal, 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 equal. Everything will be equal. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, won't it be nice that they could be co-presidents? And the answer is, for who? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, probably not. We, we actually need to define leader. Uh-huh. And so those are hard conversations to have. And yet... Um, the, the good news in this case is that the dad is sitting back saying, I actually have more life waiting for me. Mm. I have more to be doing um, in my son's lives as I shape and inform and teach them. But I also have more life outside of here. There's other things outside of here that I he, he's absolutely yeah. pursuing. So that's a great level of self-awareness because sometimes where I've seen exiting founders struggle is that idea of that they're still relevant to the market and the business as it is today and they're not and it's very hard I personally find to help self-awareness grow in an older generation first they, they don't like the word coach they don't mm-hmm. what is a coach I don't need a coach so you have to find a different way of, of having that conversation but it's the idea of saying there are benefits elsewhere and actually you guys are more suited to where the business is heading mm. with your skills yeah, and it's one of the things that we talk about in, in the work that I do, so the financial planning work that I do, is that time is a really valuable resource for us. It's, it's our most precious thing, it's time. And all too often we see people who get to 75, 80 and are reflecting and looking back thinking, I wish I'd done things sooner. But, but you're right, Jim, in t- terms of when to have those conversations, you almost want to have the 75-year-old's mindset within a... 45 or 50 year old, <laughs> so that they can understand that actually- Crystal ball stuff. Let me see, like, let me see if I hear you right. You want people to be wise, have yes. a lifetime of wisdom <laughs> at 45 years of age. Completely. Yeah. <laughs> Let's go to work on that one. So. But, but it's understanding that the, the point of all this, um, that there is this time, there is this um, greater purpose, there is alternatives to it beyond there. But people realizing that later on in life, can often lead to regret, can lead to some bitterness and, and some wanting to cling on to the business more because it's all they've ever known. Um, but, but it's the challenge of, of um, helping them understand that there are options out there, there are alternatives. Yes, and, you know, we're, we're touching on a topic that's really um, kind of at the core of much of the work related to succession and some of the challenges with succession. Remember that the founders of a family company, what we refer to as a family company, were often people that were either unemployed or bumping along, looking for something to do. These are not firms that were birthed out of private equity groups or spinoffs of other companies. These are people that were searching, the founders often searching for, how can I make a living? How can I make put food on the table, pay for the children's college or university and and so forth. And so that's a very different mindset uh, at the very core uh, than what you see in successive generations. Mm. And because of that mindset, you know, these are people that generally speaking, work very hard, have no outside life, as Ellie said earlier, view the business as their child. And yet they take the same work habits and perspective, and they judge their next generation by that same standard. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we we deal with this every day, and so uh, no surprise if you're in one of these family firms, um, very few 
uh, a small percentage of the errors in a family business will measure up. It is so common to have a founder say, well, they just don't work hard. And golly, they want to take the weekends off. And they, <laughs> you know, and they want this and they want that. And, and, and this is a very common, very common experience. And it's about this thing called the millennial. However we define that. But these millennials that are coming up uh, have a different perspective about work and life than many of the 65, 75-year-old people that have founded a company. Yeah. And uh, these, these perspectives create that kind of stress. Mm. It's a little bit like if you want to go back to Maslow's hierarchy of needs. The first generation is at the very base of that triangle, where oftentimes the successive generations are at the top. They're self-actualizing. They're, they're looking for how do we eke out the greatest level of happiness and satisfaction and fulfillment and engagement in life where their parents may be thinking, what? Yeah. What is this talk all about? Yeah. Completely agree, um, and it, it's um, <clears throat> interesting in terms of you particularly touched on the point in, in terms of um, millennials, and maybe not labelling the millennials, but, but different generations. Is the world that we've grown up in as different generations dictate how we approach certain aspects? So, I I was um, brought up in a computer age, so I, I still remember dial-up internet, and so it's not all sort of Wi-Fi and smartphones. I remember my first smartphone, but. But children that are now growing up into this world, all of that technology is just absolutely everyday stuff. Whereas people who are in the older generation have had to learn all of that. It's not been something that's a natural progression throughout their whole life. It's something they've had to pick up and learn. And that, again, can often lead to different expectations, particularly around the hard work of the technological aspect that can take some of that hard work away, the manual hard work away. You've hit on a topic that uh, so easy to see today, and that is that there are founders of companies that simply don't want to use computers. Mm. This is 2018. This is not 20 or 1970. Yeah. Computers are a part of life. The internet is a part of our life, and yet we still come across founders that say, "I didn't. I don't need an email. I don't need." And I mean, it's shocking and baffling, but mm. therein is part of the difference. And if they imagine being in a family business where the founder refuses to use email and you are an heir to that business, mm. the challenges you're going to have in just educating that individual, yep. um, you know, they're pretty big challenges. Mm. Can I come back to <clears throat> an earlier point you made on Maslow's hierarchy of needs, which hilariously I've got written down here in my notebook. Something that was touched on in yesterday's conference in regards to next generation is that the entrepreneur you talked about, who I'm visualising, he's in his garage, his sleeves are rolled up, he's soldering something, he's making something. He's driven by, as you said, the need to pay his kids school fees, to put food on the table down at the bottom of that hierarchy. But then he makes the money. And then his next generation have a different set of drivers or motivations because they haven't had to be driven by thinking, how do I put my food on the table? So actually, I think they come up the hierarchy quicker if they're supported because they get to purpose um, more about themselves and their own sense of actualization rather than just about those basic needs of roof and food and safety because actually their forefathers have created money and wealth 
in the system. And so it's, it's more complex. It's almost helping people understand one another as adults within the context of the business, having different motivators for success and different ways of working because of technology. And I hear often, why does he want to drop his children off at school? That's his wife's job. Mm -hmm. And I have to behave myself when people <laughs> say things like right. that too right. because of what it causes in me. <laughs> you know, I never changed a nappy, says the founder, and is proud of it. <laughs> yeah, and I think that the, the point to understand with that as well is that that's neither of the generation's fault no, that no. that is the case. And if the younger generation is thinking, oh, come on, we've got to modernise, we've got to do this, and the founders go, we don't need any of that newfangled internet stuff, it's all a load of nonsense, somewhere in the middle will be the right balance, and it's having those conversations around it that's going to bring that to the fore. One of the just contrasts to think about is that, let's just imagine what your grandparents were thinking uh, 50, 60, 70 years ago when they were looking to make a living, put food on the table and take care of the household and such. And oftentimes today, what you see, and of course I wasn't, uh, I wasn't active back then in the business world, but today people want to make a mark in the world. Mm -hmm. They want to make a difference. They want to do something. And it's not just taking the status quo and building from one thing to the next. It's actually, what can we do? What can I do? It will be a big splash. And we see this all over, especially in the Silicon Valley in the United States and other places where they go from uh, Facebook being a, a perfect example of that, where you have a very young entrepreneur, you know, has made a major difference in the world. Mm -hmm. People use that as the standard, which is uh, really wonderful, fantastic, but it's very very big contrast mm -hmm. between 60 years ago after World War II when people were just trying to eke out a living. Yeah. And in terms of, through advances in technology, but also in terms of changes as what society defines as success, you know, 30 years ago, having two cars was perhaps unheard of. Now it's the normality. Having technology that is very disposable, very expensive technology that's very disposable, we rarely keep phones more than two years. Whereas 15 years ago, even, that was unheard of. Why would you get rid of something so expensive in, in two years? That definition of success is completely different for the, the next generation coming through compared to their parents, and particularly grandparents, who potentially were still dealing with rationing at the end of the war, and now we're yeah. just disposing of... But sharing those stories, you know, of is, is, is brilliant. Spending time, Martin Stepek spoke in the podcast with you about the amount of time he spent with all the older generations yeah. in his family, finding out about their experience as, you know, Polish refugees during the Second World mm. War and how that then informed his dad who went through the most horrific experience with his family of, you know, going from the Arctic Circle all the way down um, through Europe to try and find somewhere that they could be repopulated as refugees, mm. turning up in Scotland, rolling his sleeves up in the garage and creating an incredible business that then fed and, and brought up 10 children underneath mm. it. So it's so important to capture and share those stories of our, of our older generation so we get some insight into what motivated them. And through that learning, I just think it's empathy, actually, at its basic principle is empathy and understanding a little bit more about what it was, the challenges that they faced, mm. rather than just focusing on the self. Yeah. 
Yeah, completely. One of the, as we know, we all know the research around this, that the importance of the shared vision and values in, in generationally successful businesses is critical. We actually have to stay rooted in those things that first established mm. us. Uh, they have to be carried on. We actually have to uh, pay homage or, or respect to the, to the founders and, and the people that came before us. All of that has to be firmly in place. I had, uh, I feel like I've had a number of conversations just in the last two weeks with clients and peers in various stages of this that really when we talk about professionalizing the business, we can go and hire a new CFO or a controller or even a president. I cannot replace the vision and the values and the cultures of the family. Mm. So even as we're asking and inviting these founders to move up to that higher circle of shareholders and out of the daily operations, that's part of, I think, the understanding and inspiring them to make that transition because that piece is irreplaceable. That, that is the piece that will create the longevity in the business as the operations adapt and change and reinvent for the current needs, mm. the current demands of industry or, or the times. Um, but I think that's a really important piece. And I think as founders, they actually have to know. I think that's a giant security blanket that allows them to make that transition is feeling secure that those will, those will in fact stay in place. Yeah, and not paying lip service to it, is to actually generally go into it, into to whatever level of detail is needed to try and uh, get that across to, to the um, next generation. Because there's a lot of um, assumption in terms of my kids, of course my kids know how hard I've worked and the story I've had to go through. And I think one of the businesses that spoke yesterday um, when they undertook their kind of values and visions, um, realised that their children didn't even know how many retail outlets they had or what the business turnover was. And these are, are publicly inf uh, available information, not, not stuff that's true to the family and to, to the values of the, the founder. So having those conversations and not assuming that everybody knows what everyone else is thinking is really important. Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. I think the, the transparency and education and... Um, inviting the family members into the varied levels of information, right? Not all things, not not everyone is privy to all things at the same time. Mm. But how we do that in really um, thoughtful and intentional ways, I think, is critical to getting buy-in from everyone. And that's part of the legacy planning. How do you create that meaningful relationship? With all of the shareholders, even the ones that will, you know, sit right on the outside and, and, and are never looking at leadership positions within the business. But, you know, spending some time working out, not just, well, that financial information is available on our website, but thinking, how do we create meaning? And for me, that's part of that's part of a legacy planning process. Um, I'd like to pick on a point. We, we were talking off air um, and uh, Jim made a very uh, good point around the, the founder, in inverted commas is, uh, commas, is not always the person that set the business up. And, and the example is, if you're taking a smallish family business, reasonable sized family business, to a, a massive family business, the journey that whatever generation has taken it to, to a new level of um, success, a new level of perhaps professionalization and governance, can have exactly those same feelings about the business as if they, they were the ones that founded it. They might have taken it on from a previous generation, 
but, but by taking it on and, and completely transforming it, they're likely to have the same issues when they get to their sort of succession time as, as the original founder. I think that's a really interesting point and perhaps we can have a bit of a chat on. There's a name for that and it's called Serial um, Founders. Uh -huh. and I've just made that up, by the way. Excellent. Trademark. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Trademark, quickly. <laughs> but, uh, but, but there's so much truth to that and the ideal, the best outcome you could possibly have in a family business uh, again, depending on your uh, your criteria and what your wishes and desires are. But in the perfect world, we would have serial founders in a family business to where one generation is the one that's in the garage, as, as Mary has already stated, with their sleeves rolled up. The next generation is doing something that is uh, very large and the third generation is going global and has market dominance mm -hmm. worldwide. And so each of them in their own right set the platform for the next generation, but that platform was just that. It was a platform. We still had to do our own. Yeah. And uh, that's where, if you had that, you're, uh, you, you, you are reinventing your business in many ways, and the family's identity in many ways. And every business has to reinvent. Um, you know, just for simple purposes, you think about it, about every 15 years, you need to do something that will shake it up and will will carry it further into the history. And so just a little fact, if not everyone's aware of this, I'll let them in on the secret. Every business in the world will end, period. Mm -hmm. It has a, a beginning point and an ending point. And we don't know if that is three months, three years, 30 years, 300 years, the oldest family business in the world, uh, Kogogumi, was uh, birthed. It's a Japanese temple maker, uh, about 600 BC or BCE. Um, they went out of business about 12 years ago. Mm -hmm. uh, but that's a not too bad of a run, about yeah. a, you know, give or take a 2,600 year history with the same family owning that business. Quite a that's, benchmark. Yeah, that's pretty good. <laughs> it's gonna be hard to beat that during my lifetime. Yeah. But, um, but what, we, what we try to do, and all of the advisors, uh, Mary and Ellie and myself and many others, we're trying to help that family to shift their business in a way that will be relevant in the future rather than living off the laurels of yesterday. Mm -hmm. And so um, that founder, if we can somehow tap into that founder uh, mentality in the next generation and then the generation after that and, and really build a sustainable you know, enterprise, it doesn't matter what they do, chances are what they're doing will change mm. at some point in the future and how can they adapt to that? Yeah. And so I think that uh, when you look at many family firms, you have a founder and then you have a maintainer as the next generation. And therein is the reason why you have the problems mm. of family businesses not surviving through the second generation. If we can take that founder and keep the good of the founder, but build on that, uh, you have a much greater likelihood that this business and this family will stay positively connected and growing uh, at least for the next 15, 20 years. Mm -hmm. so. And that takes an understanding on both sides again, doesn't it? In terms of the, 
if we're talking about the original founder passing on to the next gen who we want to have that founder mindset as well, that there has to be the understanding, I think, from the, the seeding generation that the next generation might do better. Founders often look at their successor when given a choice of multiple successors, they often look and say, who's doing what I tell them to do? <laughs> Right. And that is not necessarily the criteria yeah. for long-term success. It may be just fine for a short period, but longer period, um, you're going to have to have somebody. And there's one classic example that's written up, you, you know, time after time, and that's the Ford Motor Company. When Henry Ford, the second uh, original Henry Ford, uh, had his son Edsel, and the plan was to give Edsel the business. But Edsel was, uh, in many ways, a puppet of his father. Mm. And Edsel flamed out, did not succeed. And then the business was turned over to what we refer to as Deuce, Henry Ford II. And Henry Ford II actually built that company up into something that was much greater mm. than the original Ford Motor Company. Yeah, That's the short version. There's much more to it than that. <laughs> but that's the short version. You know, I feel like there's uh, two sides to every one of these coins, every every example. Uh, and part is that there's entrepreneurialism, entrepreneurialism is not genetic, mm -hmm. right? And so sometimes when I, I totally appreciate what you're saying, that I'm just going to choose the guy that does what I tell him to do. Um, there, Often we are educating uh, parents that, yes, they want their son or daughter to take over, but it requires a vastly different skill set. Mm. They founded the business on creating this widget that they were very, very good at making. But now it's a 70 or $100 million business, mm. and it takes a very different skill set to run that business. And so equipping the, the right person uh, is, is actually just as important, as you said, as, as giving them wings, mm. right? but do we really set them up in a way that they get to succeed? Mm. Um, if it's not our child, what other roles? That was talked about at length yesterday. What are the gifts that each family member brings? And by the way, they have to bring something, yeah. right? We don't just land in our business. Mm. And that's, that's a really difficult challenge as well. Because otherwise you end up with that entitlement mentality of this is mine and I can do what I want with it. And... I think you made the, the great point in the example yesterday is that the child with the entitlement one is not the one with the problem because they think everything's fine. They right. hunky dory. I don't have to do anything and I'm getting all these the trappings of the success of the business. And it's often the parents and other siblings that are then left with the problem as it goes. Right. Which is really interesting. You mentioned about entrepreneurialism, which is a hard word to say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It makes me feel much better. I just always go slow when I'm trying to say not being genetic. And actually that for me comes back to the nature nurture debate. So if you tip family business on its head and think of that you're growing up as part of a business family. So I've had the fortune to grow up in part of a business family. And actually from a from a young age, we, we talked about not the business, but more about the values of of business in itself and about what constituted hard work and what constituted entrepreneurialism and encouraged to just go off and have a bit of fun. But actually, I love this idea of serial founders and, and where my head was going to was, is the platform to encourage intergenerational entrepreneurialism, so more serial founders in your business family, 
Is it built on legacy and values? So actually, how does the good of the founder get captured to allow that idea of entrepreneurialism to flow through the generations of your business family while allowing the business to reinvent itself within a, some form of structure or platform, whether it's through diversification because of recession, as we heard about yesterday, yeah. or whether it's just because the next generation have got a brilliant idea mm. and they have the energy and the innovation to drive business continuity. This whole piece is part of my passion and I, I don't know where it's going to take me, but it's something that I'm really interested in. And I really like some of the terminology that you've both brought out. It's allowed me to kind of tie up some of my thinking on there. Yeah. Maybe there's another podcast or a book in there. Yeah. But yeah, it's, uh, it's, it, it's good. I think having those conversations about legacy and values and how they can liberate mm. as well as tie up the next okay. generation is, is a good thing to do. Well, even that, right? If uh, when we talk about passing on the the founders re experience their passion, if they can create or support that entrepreneurialism in their family yeah. members, they're like they can be like minded, right? Mm -hmm. They can perhaps get behind mm -hmm. that and be more free to support that. And yeah, then it takes it right. away just from my skills, your skills. You, you know, as you said, you're, you're not like me, you're not ready for this business yet, but it then becomes about business continuity at, at whatever business model or whatever succession model. I think one of the points you touched on there was really interesting from some of the businesses we heard from yesterday is a diversification point. And that it, the, the success of the business doesn't mean that you have to keep make, making that widget forever and yeah, ever right. it can be let's make a, a new widget or let's go digital or let's do this it's that the the family business can become the vessel that then delivers that um, passion of the next generation that doesn't necessarily have to match the the widget making passion of um, the first generation which i think right. we, we saw some great examples of yesterday yeah we have a client in dallas that the business was founded on uh, making a widget and there are designs behind that and the son-in-law, who is now the successor, has turned it into a software company mm. because they are the <clears> best <throat> at designing the widget. They yeah. don't necessarily have to make the widget anymore. They have the software capabilities that they can sell globally. Mm -hmm. um, the widget is was just a vehicle. Yeah. And it's not to get um, too hung up on the widget. It's, <laughs> it, I know we're talking a lot about widget. It's not a widget. Company. It's a useful metaphor. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But 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 in terms of of the, the phraseology around it, as a business family, it is the important element built on the values, built on the vision of, of the family. What the output of that is doesn't necessarily dictate the success of it. I think is the the point we're coming to. Can I go back yeah. to the beginning of our conversation? So one of the things that Mary talked about was the peer group. Um, and I think there's a real shift in, in that idea. The older generation has a peer, had a peer group, um, whether it was the guys they met at the you know coffee shop in the morning or at the feed store or whatever, right? They had a, a group that they mingled with. I think the next, uh, the generations that we are seeing coming up next, um, they don't have that, and certainly not in the same ways. Yeah. They have Google, yeah, right, and so they, they have a different resource that they're looking to for answers, mm -hmm. and I think that's a big differentiator. Uh, and I think there are some things in the founders' generation 
that also prevent them from asking some of these other mm-hmm. deeper questions. We're killing the widget, but <laughs> when I'm really good at that, I can take pride in that. That that is what has defined me. Mm-hmm. There, we put together peer groups. Uh, we have a, a number of of groups that we've worked with over the years, but probably six, seven years ago, we thought, okay, let's put these founders together. We had four or five, six founders that were billion dollar plus companies that this one man had built from the ground up and it was this thriving, flourishing family business. And without fail, each one of them had some degree of insecurity that prevented them from wanting to be in the room Mm with those other gentlemen. Yeah. I, I, well, I don't know enough. I, I don't read enough. I'm not up on current events. I, mm-hmm. I, I just know how to do this thing really good. Yeah. I don't know about anything else. And so it was a really, I found shocking and interesting thing to see these gentlemen say, no, 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 that would be too much. That would be intimidating. Yeah. yeah. And I think it, there's a misconception that um, just because you're necessarily successful in business, that you're successful in every aspect of your life. Uh, and that, I think, can be a very difficult thing, as I think you're, you're intimating there, to admit that, actually, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> it's kind yeah. of not, not to, to that extent with, with regards to the business, but in terms of dealing with their emotions, in terms of dealing with their fears, with what they're worried about going forward, that can be really scary going into a, a peer group that, that they, at that point, don't necessarily know very well and thinking, I'm the only one here with these issues. Uh, and I think one of the common threads we hear from family businesses is, yes, I hear that you, you say every family business is, um, or they go through the same issues, but it's different with my family. And they're collectively unique in that sense, but the, the, the challenges that they face are very common throughout the entire family business world. Sure. So there's a lot of truth and there's wisdom in what you just said because um, it is true that every family and every business is unique and into and of themselves. They really stand alone. That doesn't mean that the business is unique. Mm. And uh, believe me, when I worked in my family company, um, you know, we judged everybody else by our standards, not by the rest of the world standards. And we thought, well, you have to know this skill and that skill or you cannot make it in our business. And the truth is that um, that there's some, some relevance and that's an important understanding. But, uh, and of course I'm making this statistic up. If I, can't, if I don't have it, I'll just make it up. But, um, <laughs> but about 85% of the success of a business is pure business stuff. And that is transferable from one business to the next, to the next. And, you know, there are best practices that you can adhere to. And you can you can succeed to some degree. But the secret sauce of every business is unique. And those are the relationships that you have with your employees and your vendors and your customers and such. It's those relationships that make that business unique. So much of it is similar, but the piece that separates the real winners from the mediocre companies is that little secret sauce and how you deal with that secret sauce. Yeah, love it. Excellent. I'm just conscious of time in terms of um, we're actually in a room we're going to get kicked out of in about 15 minutes time. Um, (laughs) This is a first class job, you know, everything about this. (laughs) 
absolutely. The bridge club has to come in in a few minutes. Exactly so. that. Um, so, so are there any other points that, that people wanted to, to raise on this topic? I mean, I think it is something that we could talk about for, for far longer. Um, but in terms of sort of starting points for founders to, who, who may be facing this challenge, or, or quite often it's next gen who are listening that are thinking, mum or dad needs to hear this. Would the starting point be peer group, support groups, family business consultants? Where, where would you see people starting? There are three things that kind of come to mind right away. One, absolutely, is to have professional support guiding you through. Uh, I would say embrace the words, I don't know. Mm-hmm. That's okay. You've never been through this before. We don't expect you to know. Uh, and there are a myriad of good options. And so I don't know is a fine answer. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've now forgotten the third. And so, <laughs> 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 uh, but I think it's, uh, I do remember, it's the mutual respect piece mm-hmm. that both, both the founder and the successors are on this journey. It is a long road. And that mutual respect through the process is ultimately what, what will win the day. Yeah, fantastic. I would, excuse me, I would echo those points. And I would also say that I read a piece by Orange Kiwi, who I know that you've interviewed, who put out a really good white paper on the psychology of exiting owners. And in there, they had a statistic. They didn't back it up, so to say where it was from, so maybe it was also made up, (laughs) in which they said 67% of business owners fail to plan for their inevitable exit. And we all know how messy it is. We've all been called in in places where there's been no planning and there's been an exit, um, potentially through death, that's left everyone wondering how to move on. Mm. So I would say, yes, absolutely plan and go at the pace. You have to go at the pace that of the slowest person in the family, and, and which means you have to start early mm-hmm. and trust other people to come in and, and help you out with that and reach yeah. out through peer groups or, as you say, let your advisors or contacts invite you into theirs. Mm-hmm. So I would uh, kind of close with this remark that, that life is really wonderful and joyful. And um, I think that if you keep that peace in mind during this whole process of family business success and succession and such. And there are, uh, in my world, and the way I like to view it is that there are three things that you have to have for a fulfilled, engaged, and kind of a happy life. And the first of these three things is you have to have someone to love and to be loved by. That's important. That's the relationship piece. Uh, The second thing is you have to have, we all have to have something meaningful to do. There has to be something that engages us um, beyond ourselves. And oftentimes that's our work that we do every day. We spend so much time at work and the people we spend our time with are our workmates and such. And then the third thing is you have to have hope, hope of a better future, hope of a more interesting life more interesting and better engaged family. And that's, you have to have something to look forward to. So said another way, you have to have someone to love and be loved by. You have to have second, something meaningful to do. And third, you have to have something to look forward to. Something that gives you hope in life. And if we can instill those three qualities into our family firms, they they have generational success, legacy success, awaiting them. Yeah. Fantastic. Um, 
So in terms of um, sort of cl- closing uh, the podcast off, where can our audience find out a little bit more uh, about you? Mary, you want to kick off first as to where our audience... I know you've been on previous episodes, but if... Um, if you can summarise where you are and, and how we can get in touch. I finally finished my website. Um, my discipline of origin is marketing, uh, so I've been fiddling with it for a while. Um, so that's uh, businessfamilies.co.uk. Um, so information there. And again, the it's at Mary Mickle on Twitter and uh, the same on LinkedIn. So thank you for the opportunity to no, take part you. today. I've really enjoyed that this has been a group piece as well. Yeah. Thank you, Russell. And we're, uh, just to to summarise on that, we're sat in London. Um, Mary's come down from Scotland. Uh, Jim and Ellie have come over from um, Dallas, Texas. Not just for the podcast, there was a conference, although you'll probably hear for the podcast more. Um, (laughs) That's right. But but how how can our audience find out more about um, your organisation and and the work you do? Yeah, so our website is familybusinessregeneration.com. And you can find us on LinkedIn and Facebook and all of those um, elusive places for me and <laughs> Twitter uh, but yes absolutely on all of those social media sites you can find us uh, and then we have uh, multiple offices kind of around the states and uh, working on potentially one in the UK so mm-hmm. we'll, we'll get there Fantastic. familybusinessregeneration.com and or if you're really anxious uh, for the next 15 minutes we'll be at 14 Ashcroft Gardens <laughs> uh, just outside of uh, London until we're kicked out until we're kicked out <laughs> fantastic well thank you all very much for your time and uh, safe travels thank you thank, thank you. you for having us that's it for this week we hope you enjoyed the show If you'd like to leave us a review, please feel free to do so on iTunes. If you want to get in touch, you can find out more information at www.fambizpodcast.com. We'll see you again soon.